a new hauling. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Case IH. It's episode six, and we'll take you to sunny Orlando, Florida, for a wrap up of the 2019 Commodity Classic. I'll talk with some of the show's exhibitors and have a special interview with National Cattlemen's Beef Association President Jennifer Houston. I'll also talk with Kevin Cobb, one of the stars of the hit RFD TV series Corn Warriors, and have excerpts from a news conference with U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue. We'll also take you to the Legends stage at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop in Nashville, Tennessee, for music from country and gospel legend and Grand Ole Opry star T. Graham Brown. You won't want to miss a moment of it. Let's go. Here on Fast Line Fast Track, we are excited about a brand new partnership we have with Case IH coming on board as a presenting sponsor of Fast Line Fast Track. And today we are at the Commodity Classic Show in Orlando, Florida, uh, to kick off the partnership here and talk with these guys about some of the new and used products that they offer. We're going to let them describe a little bit about it. So, guys, if you could just tell me your names and tell me a little bit about what you guys do. Yep, Leo Bowes, Case IH, Harvesting and AFS Marketing Manager out of Racine, Wisconsin. I'm Joe Miller. I'm the Eastern Region Sales Director uh, for the Eastern United States, Mid-Atlantic area. And these guys are going to talk, talk about the innovative new products here at Case IH. You know, they've got a huge focus on high-efficiency farming with, with the new technologies that they have. Guys, I'm going to throw this one to you, Leo. Tell us about what we have here at Commodity Classic and what, what some of the new offerings are this, this season. Yeah, Brent, you hit it on the head. You know, high-efficiency farming for us at Case IH looks at technology and when you look at technology in our products it all starts with a product we just released here at the National Farm Machinery Show the AFS Connect Magnum Tractor taking that next level of support as well as visibility of that customer of that vehicle in the field so now I can actually remote into that vehicle remote display viewing I can now do firmware over the air updates but a whole new redesigned cab all new display all new receiver and as well as styling on the outside. So in 2016, we launched the autonomous concept vehicle and really that styling kind of fit that tractor then and we actually brought it into that AFS Connect Magnum tractor. But we're not stopping there and we, we put technology into our tillage pieces and we have AFS Soil Command. It's that next level of technology to drive both productivity and efficiency, but overall agronomic design. So when we look at a tillage piece, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get that soil prep ready for that planter to come through. So Soil Command allows us to get that specific seedbed right for that planter to come through. So we're looking at clod sizes and we can now actually adjust that from the cab versus before we had to get out of the cab and do those manual adjustments. So we're not stopping there though. Our 250 series Axial Flow Combine has AFS Harvest Command. AFS Harvest Command allows that combine to now adjust itself through the field. So that gives us great efficiency, but productivity and also savings. So if we can save more grain, that's more money in a producer's pocket. And last but not least, you know, following up with our early riser planner, our 2000 series early riser planners really drive, and that's really the nomenclature, early riser, getting that seed out of the ground. So for us, it's all about high efficiency farming and starts with those products at the core. And with all that technology, there's so much to be excited about. For anybody who might be intimidated about it, you don't have to be a PhD to run this stuff. 
No, we, we say it as easy as one, two, three. You get up in the cab and we're trying to make our displays intuitive. It's integrated technology within that product. So uh, it's as easy as running your cell phone. So for us, um, even with the release of the AFS Connect Magnum Tractor, it's an Android operating system. So we look at producers using phones today, whether it be Android or you know an iPhone, it's as simple as one, two, three. So it's both visual, but when we look at those areas within the cab, we use actually a customer-driven product definition process at Case IH. What that means is the producers that are listening here in the podcast, we actually bring them in to our engineering facility and we get their input. So that means we're driving the designs based on their input. And quite frankly, those designs relate to what is seen here in the marketplace today. So that customer-driven product definition gives us those attributes and those products. But it's not only taking a look at the bottom line, but it's those products, whether it be AFS uh, Soil Command or AFS Harvest Command, that really drive profitability for that producer. Brent, if I could just add, uh, one thing that is really unique and interesting about the technology we're bringing as well as the product is that it's a solutions-based approach. Uh, when we talk about high-speed tillage and uh, we talk about things with uh, seed, seed bed preparation and so on and the uh, AFS and agronomic designs of our plant and row unit, it's really all tied to a systems approach. If you're going to plant fast, you've got to have a high-speed seed floor established that's ready to get maximum seed to soil contact. That's what you get with the Case IH tillage line as well as the early riser planter. You add the automation and some of these high technology buzzwords and precision components that are coming into all the discussions that are happening around farm equipment today, you know, if you start batting the, the solutions-based um, kind of build one piece onto the other, you come out with an entire solution that allows the operator to work seamlessly through the Case IH offering and through our partnerships with other technology providers that really allows the producer to be in control uh, efficiently and easily cover more acres in less time with higher results. And that's what everybody's looking for these days. That's absolutely right. Okay, so you mentioned the integrated technology and integrated solutions. How, how does all of it go to the bottom line? You know, it really starts with that proven power, efficient power. You know, back with uh, in 2010, we released the Tier 4A uh, engine technology, and that's progressed into Tier 4B technology. What does that mean for the producer? It's actually trying to look at efficiencies and fuel efficiency and trying to get the most power out of those units we can. So using efficient power, that really drives it. But... As Joe indicated, we're looking at seamless technology that's integrated into the product. So that means whether it's the AFS Pro 700 display or the new AFS Pro 1200 display that's integrated in with that technology. So a producer either can use the right-hand console to make adjustments or they have that touch screen to actually physically go in there and make those adjustments uh, that they do. But for us, though, it's, it's a functional automation. And as we bolt in different pieces, you'll see we have categories of automation. We'll, we'll bring the technology in at the right time and the right fit. It's not going to be all automation. So we have that moonshot that in 2016 we showed full autonomy, which was a cabless tractor. But at the same token, we want to create efficiencies in the cab. And whether it be AFS Harvest Command or AFS Soil Command, those are the things those areas that we can focus on and create profitability instantly for that producer. So this has been, you talked earlier about the Magnum tractors. There's been a lot of buzz around them. Tell us a little bit about the high horsepower lineup that you have here. Well, I'll, I'll take that one, Brent. Um, we're really excited because at this lot right now, we're showcasing our 2019 Case IH Steiger and Magnum lineup, as well as we've got the new AFS Connect Magnum on display. 
And uh, we're very excited, not only with the new technology that we just launched um, a couple weeks ago at National Farm Machinery Show and at uh, the World Ag Expo in Tulare, uh, but we've got the, both products here. And um, you know, we set the bar initially with the Magnum tractor and the Steiger tractor, uh, 30 plus years of Magnums, uh, 20 plus years of Steiger quad track capabilities. We've got enhancements to the road track undercarriage with the model year 19 products. So an awful lot of really um, fun and exciting things to talk about with the current offering. One of the things we're really excited about with the model year 19 product is we have enhanced the standard warranty on those products just to showcase not only that uh, customer driven product design that uh, Leo talked about earlier that has started well in advance of the AFS Connect Magnum, but we have a quality product out there. We're very excited about the product that's there and we're willing to you know showcase that to the market and say, look, we've got the best warranty out in the market and uh, have confidence that for the producers to get into that um, market segment right now. Let's switch gears a bit now from new to used equipment. Where's the used market headed? You know, really, it's a good time to look at used equipment. In fact, you know, customers are probably driving through dealerships lots right now, and they're looking at that used equipment. And there's a lot of great older model machines with less than five to six years of use on them that, quite frankly, when you look at what those machines are going to do um, in the field, and we have a program called Certified Pre-Owned, CPO program for Case IH, and really what that does allows us to focus in on those equipment pieces to make sure that, one, they're going to operate at their highest efficiency, but as well as it's going to give that operation, that next level of efficient, high-efficiency farming. I think just to add to that, a lot of the new sales that are happening right now are due to replacement demand. When we talk about harvest command and soil command and uh, a lot of the efficient new technologies on the new pieces, we've got operators that are looking to upgrade to that cutting-edge technology. But the current existing uh, technology that's out there might be an upgrade for certain farmers that are looking for a performance upgrade on their own farm, but are not looking for that um, brand-new, leading-edge uh, type of product that's out there. That's opening up a lot of really good, low-houred um, equipment opportunities for them. They can investigate what's out there. They can uh, talk to their local dealer. Certified pre-owned is one piece that we've talked about, and I think it adds a lot of value to the customers to consider as well. Both of you guys mentioned the Certified Pre-Owned program. If you could Break that down a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, the Certified Pre-Owned is uh, an exciting program that we've got. And basically what it does is it takes a product that's out there less than five years old. A factory trained service technician will go through a multi-point inspection, fluid analysis, and so on, and make sure that that um, is a certified used product. And we bring it up to uh, as close to new standards as we can. And it's uh, sold through our dealer channel and certified case dealers to do so. Um, the benefits to the customer is uh, they do get some special finance offers to go with Certified Pre-Owned. There's also a purchase protection plan that uh, comes up with it. There's an actual 12 months, kind of like a, an extended type of warranty, but it's a purchase protection uh, basis. And there's some uh, parts cards to go along with it for customers that want to either add some features or change some things with the product or maybe use it on different products that they've got. So the entire offering with the certified pre-owned is, um, is really good for a customer that wants to maybe not buy that new piece, but is looking for a, a top quality, less than five-year-old, low-hour use tractor, Patriot sprayer, axial flow combine, you know, or the Magnum or Steiger product. And how is the Case IH certified pre-owned program different than the other programs out there in the marketplace? 
just like we tie about the differences between Case IH and the market versus uh, a lot of the other programs that are out there, or products that are out there, it really comes back to our efficient power. We're going to talk about efficient power. We're going to talk about uh, our um, deaf treatment solutions for our emissions components on our engines. And uh, that's going to add a lot of value to the customers with the SCR design and the efficient power capabilities that are out there. Um, we also have, a like we talked about just a minute ago, there's a lot of breadth to the product. It's Patriot sprayers, it's axial flow combines, magnums, and Steigers. And uh, so that does give a lot of um, opportunity for the customers in different market segments and different areas that need to do different things with their products. So the certified pre-owned is, um, is, is a great opportunity. Uh, as a farmer myself, what I like about the certified pre-owned that reigns true with me is I love that uh, factory trained technician going over, inspecting the product. And so when you buy it, uh, there's been a set of eyes, a set of hands, genuine Case IH parts and uh, accessories have been put on it. If there's a need to bring it up to uh, certified status, that's all been done prior to the purchase. So I think there's a lot of value in looking at the CPO products if you're into that kind of market. And earlier you were talking about farmers who want to get into some of this new technology, but maybe at a lower price point and uh, just kind of dip a toe in that water. What are some of the technological considerations that a producer should have in mind when they're looking at used equipment? Well, I think um, I, I like to go back to solution selling, right? So if you're going to run a, um, a newer Case IH Magnum or Steiger as an example, and you're going to put an early riser planner from a 1240, 1250, 2140, 2150 series or so on, well, you, you could seamlessly integrate that product with the Pro 700 and our current AFS offerings, all the way from WAS to the full RTK solution and RTK Plus solutions that are available. So right out the gate on technology, I would say make sure you're looking at um, what kind of um, accuracy you're looking for and what kind of re repeatability that you want on your farm system. And with these tractors all having that capability going back um, uh, certainly for several years now, uh, someone could upgrade to um, better precision farming capabilities. The other thing, uh, just to tag on a little bit here, is uh, we have some great partnerships with Farmer's Edge, the Climate Corp. We offer a lot of different solutions that can tie into our AFS and our AFS Connect telematic offering that work just as well on used equipment as they do on new equipment. So again, with a certified pre-owned offering with some of the technology pieces that are out there, it's a great opportunity for a customer to talk to their dealer, talk about the additional, um, not only just the products that come factory fit, but as well as some of our partnership products that could help them be more efficient in their operation. So for producers looking to get more into precision technology, how can used equipment fit well into their fleet? When you look at the used equipment side, and, and producers, it's not a one-size-fits-all for precision technologies. And I think we hit on it earlier. It's, you know, when you get in the heat of the season, you just want it to work. But prior to that, you're trying to look at reducing your input costs, right, and, and trying to drive profitability. So whether it's just taking a look at guidance offerings on used equipment, and I look at a receiver, we can look at low, medium, and high accuracy levels. So now we can get down to sub-inch accuracy that, quite frankly, is a pretty easy price point and a low price point to get into that, could really drive bottom line profitability. So in the last four to five years, we see not only equipment being brought in and traded in in the used market that has a full offering or suite of precision technologies that could fit your operation. So when you get up in that cab, start asking some of those questions of that technology. You know, what's in it? Does it come with RTK, real-time kinematics that get me down to that sump inch accuracy level? What receiver does it have up on top of that uh, cab roof? 
what do I have for unlocks or upgrades within the display? So I think producers probably have to ask those questions because in the past, we really haven't had to do that. You just get up and you drive it. Well, now that tractor drives itself and it actually will auto steer itself around the headlands as well. So hands-free end row turning. So it's little things like that that create efficiencies when I'm looking at whether it's strip tail applications, I want to get that uh, input in that right specific spot where now this used equipment side, those technologies are probably embedded in that product already. So if I'm a farmer at home and I'm ready to jump in, get get into some of this newer technology, but you don't really get into it until you're out in the field and you're ready to roll and most of the time everybody's crunched for time and they've just got to get the work done. How can you learn on the fly? What what options do you guys have out there to kind of take the farmer by the hand and help them learn the technology and really get into it? I'm going to, this is one of the hallmark um, Case IH value propositions that I'm glad you brought, touched on. Uh, 65% of our employees are field-based. We've got territory sales managers, product specialists, field service managers, um, precision farming specialists. We've got um, CNH capital uh, financial representatives that are all field-based, that are in their shoulder-to-shoulder with um, their customers. I was talking to a customer last night, and he indicated um, that I told him that one of his specialists would be down here at the Commodity Classic. And he goes, yeah, I, I saw him at church last Sunday. And, and so we talked about it. So these guys actually um, integrate fairly close um, in the communities. And not only does that give them the benefit that they're accessible, there's also a benefit that they live and work in that area. They know the ground. They know the seasonality. They know how much rain they've gotten or how much tillage has been done or if it's a drought situation or what have you. They understand that. It's, it's built into um, their DNA. So not only do I think that uh, the value of the Case IH employees we have working with our customers side by side, we've got a great dealer network that's established with, again, factory trained technicians, factory trained salespeople. Um, we've got the people there and the, the skills and the knowledgeable staff to get out and support a customer. Um, just one example of the, the investment that dealers have made. In the last three months, Leo, we did a national training event in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We brought over 1,200 dealer salespeople out to train them on the latest technology, the latest opportunities, the latest technology to make sure that they're ready to go this spring season talking with customers and are familiar with the products that we have uh, available to make them more profitable in the field. What does a trip to the dealership look like? If, if I want to go as a farmer, just do more than kick the tires. What, what can I expect when I step onto the lot at a case dealer? When you walk into a case IH dealer, um, as a sales guy, I, I'm going to tell you, I hope that you don't see a whole lot of salesmen sitting in there waiting for people to walk in. Um, a lot of salesmen are out take, doing a lot of business at the farm. Uh, as farmers have gotten bigger and uh, they've certainly gotten busier in, in their day-to-day, -day, the salesmen know that the business takes place at the farm operation. Uh, but to go to the Case IH dealer, which you're welcome at any time to go to your local dealer, you're going to see the new equipment on the lot. You're going to see the trade-in equipment on the lot. And you're going to see a, a highly efficient service department, a very highly efficient, highly trained parts department. You're going to see sales managers and uh, salesmen that are there, saleswomen as well, that are there to um, help lead you to that product that fits best for your operation. Uh, we do a lot of time. Spend, we spend a lot of time with training our dealers on uh, service training, parts training, uh, after sales management training, as well as new product training and sales training. So our dealers are uh, highly trained. They're ready to meet your needs. They're going to listen. They're going to hear what you're looking for on your operation. They're going to really try to help guide you into the best possible fit for your farm. And what I would add, Joe, is you know it's that end-to-end -end solution, right? So when that customer opens that door to that dealership 
not only are they going to be introduced to the sales department, but the parts department, and you touched on it, it's that in-depth training of trying to find that solution to fit their need. And when they walk back through that service department, those certified technicians that spend that time at those training sessions away from the dealership so they have that cutting edge technology. But when we say end to end, it's also about the input side too. So our strategic partnerships, whether it be the Climate Corporation or Farmer's Edge, now give us solutions that quite frankly maybe weren't there in the past and now I get to go to one location and have all that offered. And talking about the used equipment, where can producers go to find used equipment from Case IH and their local dealer? Uh, you can start at used.caseih.com and that'll get you right to the used landing page for um, the, the, the used part of the business. But if you're looking for any of the solutions, any of the product um, portfolio or any of the things that we have out there, caseih.com, you can select a dealer. Uh, you can find all the different products that are out there and explore our total product portfolio and see a lot of the new and exciting things that are happening at Case IH. All right, so we've been talking with Leo Bose and Joe Miller from Case IH. Fellas, we want to thank you so much for your time here on Fast Line Fast Track. Great to have the conversation. Yeah, thanks, Brent. It's been a real good talk. Next, we take you to a news conference U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue held with the media during Commodity Classic to address various hot-button industry topics, including the fear of food issue. Fear is just one of the categories. Uh, there's a denigration effort here from the marketing. And, and look, any part of the sector from an advertising perspective always tries to talk about their, uh, their products and why they're better than others. I, I asked our, uh, when I first got in office, I asked our organic people as they came in, I said, look, I, I appreciate what you all are doing. We're gonna support you. We're gonna provide more research. We're gonna try to protect the integrity of your organic brand from those uh, people coming inside and outside that would uh, dilute what you're trying to do. But you've built a $50 billion market. Let's don't denigrate uh, other people who do things differently than you. And hopefully we can achieve that uh, also both ways, bilaterally, in new technology, such as cell-based protein, and uh, let the consumers decide. So I hope uh, we're seeing some uh, beginning advertising dealing with the, uh, uh, I think the initial term was clean meat, uh, which is pejorative in its advertising. So I'm asking people overall in the food business uh, talk about your product in a positive way. Give all of its attributes, but uh, try not to imply that someone else, the way someone else is doing it, is wrong or unsafe or unhealthy or inhumane or other things in that way. So, and let and let the consumer uh, choose. You know, we got we you know you we got into it with the GMO issue. You know, I knew it was getting bad when I walked down the hair products aisle and saw non-GMO shampoo. So. Uh, Next, Secretary Purdue talks Section 232 tariffs on aluminum and steel and how they factor into trade relations with Canada and Mexico. Uh, I was one of those that assumed that uh, uh, the 232 tariffs would be uh, resolved with the signing of the agreement. Uh, certainly, it's, uh, as the Minister McCauley and, uh, uh, and Secretary uh, Villalobos was in town, we all agreed that we think it's in the best interest of all three. Uh, you probably also know that President Trump uh, favors tariffs. I think I, I have come to the conclusion that uh, tariffs as a leverage mechanism are very effective. I think he's validated that. Uh, that I think once you use that leverage, I'm uh, working to persuade him that uh, the leverage is no longer needed. 
unless it's needed for enforceability going forward particularly. I don't believe we need that for uh, Canada and Mexico. So I can't give you the time and what, what's the chicken or egg comes first, but I'm hopeful that we can get them resolved soon uh, in the spirit of uh, fulfilling everyone's expectations. Purdue also offered up some words of encouragement for younger producers facing the tough ag economy. Well, it's tough. Their fathers and grandfathers have gone through similar times. Hang in, hang tough, you know, get to the end of the rope, tie a knot in it, those kind of things. There's no silver bullet. Obviously, you, you've uh, indicated and expressed the people who are really uh, in, in their extreme economic duress. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, generational farmers come back to the farm during that period of 8 to 13. They'd gone to town for a job, as their parents had indicated, you know, advised them to do. And we saw the grain prices at career levels, productivity increasing, and uh, it looked like a great life forever. And uh, the crash, not crash, but the, the continued to erosion of commodity prices after 13, uh, and they wanted to again, borrow or uh, reach out and, and try to expand, uh, they're in peril. Uh, and I don't know. We, we've got programs in FSA at USDA about uh, how we can help them through guaranteed programs and direct programs. But uh, there's no easy answer, frankly. Those are the ones. We know that working capital has gone down. We know that the, the good news, I guess, for those people who have been established, uh, the farm uh, value levels have held up pretty good, which keeps the debt-to-asset ratio, debt, uh, debt ratio pretty stable, not like the 80s, but we haven't seen that crash yet. If we have a couple more years, you're going to probably see farmland values go down. But uh, I'm hoping that won't happen. But these guys are, it, it's tough out there, but their parents and grandparents have gone through similar periods of time in that way and they've come out on it so if they can financially physically emotionally uh, hang on then uh, i'm bullish on agriculture purdue also was asked about his outlook on trade with china i think you'll see in in the effort to decrease the trade deficit i think you'll see a broad array of agricultural commodities from uh, uh, not only the the cereals feed grains soybeans uh, sorghum uh, uh, I think you may see rice, uh, beef, livestock, ethanol, DDGs, those kind of things. There's a pretty broad swath there, uh, and we think many of the specialty crops from tree nuts and others could be restored as well. He was then asked about a timetable for that restoration. I think upon conclusion of a trade agreement, uh, which we hope is imminent, but there again, I don't want to raise expectations because... It's never over in, in negotiations until it's over, and uh, uh, I think it'll be over very successfully when President Xi and President Trump meet, or it'll be over uh, very detrimentally when they meet. And uh, just as President Trump went to visit with uh, the leader of North Korea, hopeful that we could reach a deal, he's not going to accept the deal that's unenforceable and not good for the American people. Purdue was then asked about his proudest moment as Ag Secretary over the past year. I don't want to be hokey about this, but it's really the people, the, the people who were at USDA, the people who do the real grunt work each and every day. Uh, I, I look at them as 100,000 
strong farm kids who just want to do good for agriculture. I think they they not only have a job, but they have a passion for helping the people they serve in so many ways. And uh, that's probably the proudest. I, I think, again, the leadership team we've been able to put together, it's pretty intimidating to be appointed a secretary. And you've got seven or eight undersecretary positions as well as a deputy that you've got to go find people for and have a geographical diversity, a uh, uh, experience diversity, and try to match them with what their jobs are. And uh, I just tell you, I think we hit a home run with the group. We, we borrowed heavily. We poached heavily from the uh, uh, NASDA ranks, uh, uh, secretaries and directors of ag across the state, with, from, uh, and then Steve Sinsky, who had managed uh, – the American Soybean Association for 20 years with a board of 48 farmers. I felt like he could probably do anything. But uh, uh, Ted McKinney and Bill Northy and Greg Ibaugh and Fort Richard Fordyce and Jamie Clover Adams and Matt Lohr, these are people who had authentic agricultural experience in a variety of ways, but they also had some experience with bureaucracies and how to get things done through a governmental process. And that's been... Uh, I've been proud of that. I've been proud. We work together as a team. There's a, there's a familiarity. There's a, an ability to uh, discuss, disagree, and come to a conclusion, get in the huddle, call the play, and everybody runs the same play. The secretary was then asked about the challenges of implementing a new dairy program under the recently passed Farm Bill. Very complex rules. Uh, the, uh, the, when Congress passes a law, the Farm Bill, I naturally thought, well, let's go do it. Let's implement it. It doesn't work that way. As I said in my speech today, everything has to go by rules, rules, rules in Washington, D.C. These agencies have to get down to the granular thing of uh, defining what it is and, uh, in, in, our, in the law, and that's what we're doing right now. The dairy program, we have the highest priority on the dairy program because that's probably the sector that suffered the most under the prior margin protection program. But you're going to see refunds. These folks are going to do very well going forward under the new farm bill, certainly under 5 million pounds per year of production. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very good program. So for dairy, dairy particularly, uh, they're, they're, they're under a lot of stress, but they just need to hang on probably till uh, uh, March, April, May. We'll have rollout of different things all along there, and the sign-up will be probably sooner than most everything in the farm bill. The secretary then addressed the Trump administration's focus on infrastructure issues, logistics, and the rural broadband implementation. The president continues to talk about it. Uh, I think we're expecting some bills to drop over infrastructure. Uh, uh, the problem is kind of the definition, Ken, over when you say infrastructure. Uh, the president, I think, was very serious when he stood on the banks of the Ohio River and talked about our locks and dams, understanding the the wonderful advantage and asset we have in our waterways in this country, but also from rail and from uh, uh, truck movement. The logistics advantage we have in this country is what allows us to be uh, uh, a great, reliable supplier around the world, and we can't let those go away. I would love to, I hope so. We've, we've been giving technical assistance on infrastructure issues as well. That's not aside from broadband, which we are pushing, which I believe to be a true moonshot of transformation to, to solve the rural-urban divide uh, in America. Precision agriculture, telemedicine, health, e-commerce, sociological reasons. I think broadband infrastructure is something we will continue to focus on. 
Uh, obviously, transportation gets the, the other part of uh, some of those other types of infrastructure. But uh, I'm hoping we'll see that as a real effort. Uh, I think uh, nobody's against infrastructure. They just don't ever come together to do anything about it. I then had the opportunity to ask Secretary Purdue about the long-term status of the hours of service rules for livestock haulers, something I also discussed with National Cattlemen's Beef Association President Jennifer Houston in my next segment. Uh, I hope it's statutory. It needs to be statutory. And uh, uh, they were just really Band-Aids in that uh, in that uh, ag exemption. But I, they really need, and they've been pretty intractable about that, so... I hope we can get some statutory relief about that. It, uh, the meter didn't stop in the middle regarding safety. It went all the way over and captured some people that uh, really harms the way they do business from livestock handling, vegetable produce, and that kind of thing. Finally, the secretary was asked if producers would be putting crop into the ground with the China issue still hanging over their heads. Yes, that's uh, farmers will make their decisions this year based on current uh, signals they're getting from the marketplace and what they believe is in their best interest, uh, and that's the way they've always done it. They'll continue to do that this year. Farmers uh, are just going to have to make their decisions many times the way they've done over years and years and years. That's with uncertainty. What's the weather going to be? Should I plant uh, a crop that when it's going to have a drought this summer or not? There are just a lot of uncertainties in farming that we don't. many of us who don't do that don't understand. They deal with uncertainty. That's their life, and... Uh, they're going to have to deal with another fact of uncertainty, whether there's a trade deal or not. But uh, the fact is, it's kind of like in basketball. If you don't shoot, you don't score. If you don't plant, you don't have anything to sell. Back at Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida, we've got a special guest here. It's Jennifer Houston, the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, based out of Centennial, Colorado. Actually, you're out of Tennessee uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks for having me on. And we're here at the uh, the farmer-led show, and you're, you're going from booth to booth, really uh, getting to hear the concerns for, from your constituents and being able to kind of gauge what's going on. As we're into 2019, what are some of the key priorities that you have on your radar? Well, uh, just about 9,000 cattlemen just met a couple of weeks ago in New Orleans for our annual meeting. And then basically we voted on our policy priorities that our staff in Washington and our volunteer leaders be working on. Uh, the number one really is trade. Uh, trade is so important to our beef cattle producers as it is to all of our grain farmers. And so we're going to be working, uh, really pushing the administration to get to the table for a bilateral with Japan. Uh, to continue working with China on our not only the tariffs but the non-tariff trade barriers which keep us from using production technologies that we use in the U.S. Uh, as well as the U.K. and the European Union and of course really pushing Congress to ratify the USMCA, the new NAFTA, which means uh, free and absolute access to two of our largest trading partners in the beef industry. So that's our, probably our number one priority. We'll also be working on uh, regulation reform and, and implementation. For example, we were attended the rollout of the new Waters of the U.S. rule. We know it's going to be challenged, so we're going to be there to support the administration that this is a rule that gives our farmers and ranchers clear and concise uh, direction on what is the Waters of the U.S. So those are a couple of the main ones that we're going to be working on this year. And I know also uh, engineered meats is another one that's, that's big on your radar. Where do we go from there with that? We're in a, a pretty good, we really worked hard this year on um, on who should have purview over this. We felt that USDA 
uh, whatever you want to call it. If they're going to play in the meat space, they need to have daily continual inspection, just like our beef products do. And their labels should be pre-approved and based on science. So we, we have a framework that FDA and USDA came up with to where FDA sort of has the, the pre-commercial production, and nobody's in commercial production yet. Uh, is the technology safe? And then it, when it comes to commercial production, if it does, USDA will take over. So we're going to really keep close eyes on that as so many unanswered questions about this technology is very proprietary. So what we were there for two days of hearings last fall, and they said, what did you get out of it? And I said that there's more that we don't know about this process than we do. So that's gonna, we're going to continue to monitor this situation really closely. Another issue that continues to kind of get kicked down the road, no pun intended, is the hours of service rules here. Where do things stand on that, and where, where do you see that headed? Well, in the appropriations bill that refunded the open the government back up, we do have um, a delay for livestock haulers or a till September 30th. We continue. We have a petition before the Department of Transportation for a five-year exemption. Uh, it, it's been a long education process to teach people that livestock are different beings, even than some of our other ag commodities. Normally we're all on completely the same page, but you can stop a load of corn. You can't stop a load of cattle, you know, when it's 40 below in Bismarck, North Dakota, or 110 down here in Florida as they're heading to the Midwest. So it's been an education process. We're gonna to continue to work to find some kind of permanent solution that it takes into account animal welfare, people's safety and uh, and our drivers too. And it's been batted around quite a bit. Do you feel like the lawmakers you're getting in front of are starting to get it? I think they are. Not only lawmakers, but the regulators too. They're starting to see that, that livestock are a different, you know, they're, they're living, breathing beings that we've got to worry about their welfare as well as, as the drivers and public safety that we all want. Jennifer Houston, we sure do appreciate the time on Fast Line Fast Track and the great work that uh, your organization is doing. We hope to have you back sometime in the future. I would like that. Thank you. We want to remind you that this episode of Fast Line Fast Track is being sponsored by Case IH. Be sure to check out the beautiful new 2020 AFS Connect Magnum Series tractors, as well as Maximum Steiger tractors and RB5 Series round balers at CaseIH.com. There you'll find a dealer locator, information about parts and service, and special offers. Again, that's Case IH. Back here on Fast Line Fast Track at the Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida. We've got a special guest here. It's Camille Grade with Bushel, uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Got a lot of innovative stuff going on here, and that's uh, definitely what we like on Fast Track. Camille, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us what you guys are uh, are opening up to uh, clients here at Commodity Classic. Yeah, so, you know, with Bushel, what we're doing is we're allowing clear and simple business for elevators and the growers that they do business with and that the growers do business with the elevator. And so what Bushel is is we're a, we're a mobile platform um, for elevators to be able to display their transactional data to their growers. So what we do is we get an elevator on board onto the platform, we brand an app specifically to that elevator, put it in the app store, and then the grower downloads it for free. And through that, they're able to log in and see their scale tickets in real time, their contracts with their elevator, commodity balances, um, some of the prepays if they're doing any of the agronomy uh, purchases at that elevator. But the whole goal of what we're trying to do with Bushel is to strengthen that relationship 
between the elevator or the grain facility and the growers that they do business with. So what about our listeners who hear that and think, man, that sounds great, but uh, just not that adept at technology. It, it sounds like it might be over my head. How, how do you guys walk them through the process? Yeah, well, we've. the great thing is that we have um, deep experience in creating mobile technology tools and applications that are just really easy to use. Um, an example of you know what the adoption has been, the first elevator that launched their bushel-powered app, um, within the first month, they had 75% of their growers download and activate their account and use the app. And so we think it's because we just made it very easy to use and intuitive to use. And here at the Commodity Classic, you guys have partnered with the folks with Rain and Hail Agriculture Insurance. Uh, you've got a special program there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we've got a great partner here with Rain and Hail. And what we're doing with them is we are allowing growers to give permission to their Rain and Hail agents to provide them all of their scale tickets for the elevators that they do business with to help with claims reporting or to help with some of the reporting that's done throughout the year. So just simplifying, um, eliminating some of the paper processes that might be out there. But our, our partnership with Rain and Hail is really to, to simplify the, the process for the farmer um, and just make it really easy to provide information to their agents. And what has the response been like from early adopters? Um, from the bushel side, we've we've seen um, you know high adoption for the elevator powered apps. We're in the really early stages with rain and hail and rolling this out, um, so we're we're just getting it out there. Um, part of the reason we're at Commodity Classic is to get the word out for folks. And if people want to know more about any of this, where can they go? You can go to www. Dot bushel dot ag. That's Bushel, just like it sounds, B-U-S-H-E-L. So make sure you check them out. And Camille, we thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate the time today. Back at Commodity Classic, Orlando, Florida, and we've got a special guest with us here, John Beasley, the Director of U.S. Agriculture for Ritchie Brothers. John, welcome to Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks for having me. And uh, you guys are a, a long-standing name in, in auctions, especially with heavy equipment. Uh, but you guys are really making a push to get onto the farms and do more farm auctions. Uh, about a year and a half ago, acquiring Iron Planet and opening up that platform to deliver some really great uh, options for farmers. T tell us how things are going with that and uh, what, what kind of a push you guys are making here at Commodity Classic. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we uh, acquired Iron Planet a, about a year and a half ago. We... As a company, we're publicly traded. Uh, we do focus and, and we deal with the farmer. We our, our main push uh, this year is focusing on on the farm sales. Uh, you know, we do roughly five billion dollars of business as a company. Um, so we want to be here. Let the farmers know we're here for them. Um, you know, there's a lot of options. We have online sales. We have live auctions. Uh, so many many options for the farmer to, to deliver. So when a farmer starts getting an inkling that they, they want to sell, that they just want to start exploring the market. Tell us about the steps that they need to take and, and where you guys will be there to walk alongside them. Yeah, great question. So we have uh, representatives in each uh, state. So they would go on our website, rbauction.com, uh, look for a local representative, call that representative. We would come out, visit with the farmer, and then assess their equipment to kind of let them know what options they have. 
uh, you know, we do uh, an evaluation of their assets and we also do real estate. Uh, so it's a real simple call, uh, call your representative. We come out, we meet with the farmer and give them the options. And it's not like you guys are coming into this cold. Uh, you're really trying to make a greater push in the United States, but you guys have been doing this in Canada for quite some time. You bet. So we, we were 60 year, our 60 year anniversary was in uh, 2018. Uh, we do uh, spring runs, uh, fall runs, and summer runs uh, for uh, in Canada. So we're focusing on uh, that market here in the U.S. as well. So we, you know, we know the the farmer very well, and we do on the farm sales. So when a farmer comes to you, what are some of the key questions or concerns that they approach you with? You know, what's my equipment worth? Um, that's a really important question, you know, with the commodity prices up and down and the real estate, the way it's the way it is in the farming. Uh, I think the main question is, you know, what's my equipment worth and how can we find the buyers to uh, make sure that my equipment sells for the right price? All right. Uh, we sure appreciate John Beasley, director of U.S. Agriculture for Ritchie Brothers, taking the time to join us today on Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Back again at Commodity Classic, Orlando, Florida, where we are now talking with Benjamin Vandegreen, the uh, Director of Sales for Demco out of Boyden, Iowa. Uh, you guys are bringing a, a ton of innovative new products to the show this year. Uh, if you could, just talk a bit about what you've got in, in your product lineup. Yeah, we're uh, introducing some new products here for the year that are going to be focused on helping farmers be more efficient. Um, and make better use of the equipment that they already have. So one of those is a liquid tender trailer. Uh, for those that have a high capacity spraying, uh, the liquid tender trailer can go up to 3,250 gallon tanks, two of them on the trailer. And with that, they can keep plenty of liquid to their sprayer to keep out to the field, keep the sprayer moving. You know, oftentimes the window for spraying because of weather can be tight. So it keeps them in the field. They don't have to come back to the yard to fill up their sprayers. So that's definitely one product. Uh, another product is our two new models of grain carts. We're calling them the 1122 and 1322 grain carts. And these carts are of a size that they can hold more than a semi-load. So you can fill the grain cart and you have plenty of capacity to go fill your truck. Um, that way they have some extra capacity to always fill the truck and keep the combines moving. And those grain carts feature some unique things. They have a drag auger in the bottom of them. The unload auger is 22 inches, so they unload very quickly. Again, focused on efficiency, load the truck quickly, get back to the combine. Uh, also, the auger moves up and down. So if you have different size trailers or if you have some windy conditions, need to get the auger closer to the trailer, you can adjust that up and down. Um, it comes standard with a pendant controller so that again is to help be more efficient while operating the grain cart makes it easier to operate uh, use that controller versus having to reach for different levers in the tractor um, so yeah those are some uh, a couple of key things that we're talking about here at the commodity classic show so anybody who has just struggled through a, a recent uh, uh, cumbersome harvest process uh, Keep those in mind. Get, get out there and look at it. Any kind of incentives uh, for folks to be buying right now or any, any deals you have going on? You know, we sell to our dealers. We have a dealer network for both products. And for both products, this is a great time to talk to a dealer because we just finished an early order program. So dealers are bringing in inventory of these products. So, yes, it's a great time to visit your local Demco dealer. 
Uh, we also have a listing of all of our dealers on our website. Our website is demco-products.com and go to our dealer locator and uh, you'll see a listing of all the Demco dealers. So. Super. Well, Benjamin, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track and we wish you the best of luck with it. We hope to catch up with you down the road. All right. Thank you very much. Back at Commodity Classic, Orlando, Florida, we are just going uh, through some of the booths here and checking out some of the innovations at Commodity Classic. And one of the most exciting things that uh, we're seeing is coming from the data field where we've got Farmer's Edge. They offer precision digital solutions for farmers. And I've got with me Chris Evenson. Uh, Chris, welcome to Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks, Brent. Glad to be here. The game has changed so much in farming over the past few years, and and you know it's no secret to most of the people who listen to this podcast because they are farmers and they understand the importance of data, the importance of analytics. And you guys have uh, just a tremendous package that uh, really delves so deeply into just monitoring everything that goes into production. Um, tell us about what you're bringing to the table for the farmer. Yeah, absolutely. So we are truly one of the most integrated and well-rounded packages that's out there today. So whether it be from satellite imagery with higher frequency and higher resolution than uh, really what anybody else in the industry has currently today, all the way through to uh, utilizing agronomics and putting your equipment to work with variable rate technology, um, whether it be for seed, fertilizer, um, pesticides, really putting all that, uh, all those tools to work and we'll help provide the background data and the information to, to drive that. So for a farmer who has heard so much about this but has some curiosity, how do you get them in on the ground floor and move them through the process? Absolutely. So uh, a lot of that's just figuring out exactly what you said. Where are we starting? What do we want to utilize? What technology is sitting there on farm? Where do we start? Because in order to me, uh, no, in order to climb a mountain, you have to take the first step. Um, so we're really there to help them every step of the way. So figuring out where it is that they want to start, what they want to utilize to start with, and help train them how to do that. And also at the same time, get to know their operation, get to know what their goals are, um, where do they want this to take that operation, and then help lay out a path that we can help walk them through uh, to get to the point where they're comfortable utilizing technology and now growing within uh, within technology as technology explodes, like you said, in the ag industry. And that keyword explodes. Farmer's Edge is exploding right now. You guys have grown by leaps and bounds, and uh, but yet you're still a small enough and nimble enough operation to be able to change on a dime and really give the farmers what they want and respond to any kind of changes in the market. Absolutely. A couple examples, uh, soil moisture probes. So just helping get a better understanding of, I know it's raining, I know my crop needs moisture, but what's actually in the soil sitting there today? Um, it's, it's relatively correlated to the amount of rainfall we get, but there are a lot of other factors that lead into that as well. Um, another one is back to that imagery piece. Um, historically, imagery has been uh, a day late and a dollar short. Um, we get some imagery, but it's not consistent enough, and it's just really not there to, to help us out the way we need it to. So we solved that problem by going to to give our growers the ability to utilize daily satellite imagery. But when we did that, we introduced another problem. All of a sudden, we had hundreds of images showing up for these fields, and it was a, an information overload. So we took a step back, took another view of that, and actually went through and developed something we call crop health change notifications, which actually goes through and compares images for our customers and tells them, hey, there's something going on. It's in this particular area of this particular field. Go out there and check it out. It's a lot easier way to, to utilize imagery. It's, it's almost like an easy button for imagery. Make it simple for me, notify me on my phone, notify me on my computer, and then you take that tech right out to the field. 
And when you talk about simplicity, uh, Farmer's Edge has a, a really slick and easy to use interface. If you could kind of walk us through what a farmer sees when they pull it up on their desktop or on a mobile site. Yeah, absolutely. So whether you're you're a desktop, a laptop, a tablet, a phone user, we have ways to interact with all of those platforms and, and help our growers understand and utilize their data from that perspective. Um, the big piece that we have that differentiates us from a lot of our competitors is, is the people that are out there to support that. So when a grower signs up, they do have support staff assigned to their account. And it's not support staff that's in a call center, it's support staff that drives to that farm. We, we want to be on that farm. We want to be helping that grower, helping them understand how to push the buttons. Uh, one of the things that I've seen is probably one of the largest barriers to entry when it comes to utilizing technology on the farm isn't getting it onto the farm. A lot of times it's already there, but it's having somebody to help them push those buttons and understand what the result of those button pushes are going to be. So it's really uh, just helping walk through that process because it's, uh, well, it can be scary making an adjustment or change of something that's maybe been done the same way for 10, 20, or 30 years. We're there to help facilitate that change and make it as painless as possible. And, and really the only way to do that is to get out on the farm, look face-to-face with our customers, and understand what they want and how they want it. And the depth and breadth of your product offering has really caught the attention of, of some of the largest manufacturers in this industry. Absolutely. So we're very excited to now be partnered with Case New Holland um, and really working to help expose their growers to the technology and, and put that, that industry-leading equipment and technology that they have inside their tractors, inside their planters and applicators, you know, put that to work and help growers get return on investment from that equipment standpoint, not just using it to, uh, to put products on the field, but put them in the right places, put them there at the right rates, really utilize the, the tools that they already have available to them sitting on the farm. It's just putting them to uh, to, uh, to work in a more efficient way. So if any of this sounds intriguing to farmers or if they're in, in a different uh, data situation and looking to make a switch, where can they go to find out more about what Farmer's Edge brings to the table? Absolutely. Easiest way to get more information, go to www.farmersedge.ca. Uh, from there, you can uh, click on the Contact Us link. You can get a hold of us there and get uh, connected with a local advisor. And that CA is Canada, but you guys are really aggressive in the States now. Absolutely. So we uh, we launched here in the States the end of 2015. Uh, really been on a tremendous growth curve as we've uh, helped growers really adopt and utilize technology that, uh, that they've had sitting on their farm for quite a few years. We're just helping them put it to work. With some exciting new technology and Chris Evenson with Farmer's Edge, we sure do appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Back at Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida here, where we've just seen the uh, coronation of uh, Season 3 winner for Corn Warriors. And we've got a, a special guest here, somebody really fun for me, uh, a home guy here, Kevin Cobb uh, from Dubois, Indiana. I'm just down the road in Jasper, Indiana, but uh, just been watching with a lot of interest what, what you're doing here. Uh, Kevin, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, glad to be here. What do you make of all this, man? We just did this, and this place is just jam-packed with people just wanting to uh, see how all this played out. It's, it's kind of neat, you know. We, we've our second season we've done this, and, um, you know, where else are you going to have a group of people where you got two world record holders, Randy Downey, David Hula, um, Matt Swanson, excellent corn grower, Dan Lucas, Dryland, and then, you know, we, we, we can turn out some pretty good yields ourselves here. So um, I, th- I think it's just been fantastic. How would you get involved in all this? So actually, kind of a long story, we had uh, was working with a um, – similar company with these other guys four or five guys was in it and um i really don't know who come up with the idea but uh kind of asked us other four growers to get in it and um 
you know, make a TV show, we never would have thought that, well, actually, it's just going to be a YouTube show, I guess. And then next thing you know, it turned into a TV, and it's off and running pretty good now. So that's accident, I guess. <laughs> so as far as production goes, do you know they're there? I mean, do you play to the camera? Do you just go about your day? How does all that work? So the first year, it was kind of nerve-wracking that we got in it. But, um, you know, the second year, you know, it was just it just happened. You know, they were in there. You knew that you're going to lose a third of your time, you know, to, to cater to them guys, and you just dealt with it, you know. But, I mean, yeah, we know they're there, but it don't really bother us anymore. We're just kind of used to them now. So when you go into town, go out, go out to eat or wherever, what kind of feedback do you get from the folks in town? I hate to say it, but I don't think many people in our town see it. <laughs> what are you people doing? Wake up and watch the show. It's fabulous. Seth and his group do a great job with it. Oh, I tell you what, as far as the production crew there, film crew, they are awesome. I mean, uh, yeah, they can be pain in the butts there, but, I mean, they pretty well do a good job. I can't, I can't complain. You know, they're great guys. So tell us a bit about your farming operation. How long have you guys been around? How many generations? So if, I, if I'm thinking right, we're a fifth, fifth generation farm. Um, I've been farming on my own since 96, I guess. Um, we raise corn, soybeans, uh, raise turkeys. Most people don't realize is we're not really known for corn in Dubois County, you know, but we are kind of the the capital world of uh, poultry, you know, chick, yeah, heck, you was there, you know, we live there in Jasper, you know, uh, so we raise a lot of turkeys in our county, uh, a lot of layers. Um, so, you know, that's kind of neat that we say, you're from Dubois, it must be a great farming, grain farming. No, we're not really known for growing corn, we're known more for poultry, so it's. But it makes it all that much sweeter that you can be doing something on the level that you're doing and uh, get national notoriety for it, though. Oh, I, I think, yeah, the manure that the turkeys that we raise uh, definitely help us. You know, um, anytime you can buff in your salts, you know, the manure has some salt in it, but it ain't near the concentration as what um, fertilizers are, synthetic fertilizers. So, um, you know, it, it is pretty neat to see that, you know, yeah, we have small fields, you know, not exactly the greatest farming area, but we definitely use that to our strength, you know, with, with the manure that we get. Well, Kevin, it's been a real honor to catch up with you, and uh, we're, we're going to keep an eye on it as this next season progresses and uh, maybe get out into your field as you guys are doing some work this year and see where things go from there. Hey, come on down. We, we, we want to we help educate the, the public. You know, anybody wants to come over, come on over. And maybe we'll uh, run over to Butchie's and grab a beer and a, and a, cola and a burger and uh, go from there with it. That sounds good. Damn good steak there, too. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Some of the best. So uh, everybody in Dubois County, get your ears on, get your eyes on. Go to RFDTV. Check it out. Go to RFDTV.com. Check out Corn Warriors. Check it out on YouTube. But make sure you check out this show. And Kevin Cobb, real honor. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. And now we head to the legend stage at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417. Broadway in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, where we catch up with country and gospel legend T. Graham Brown, who started his week with us and ended it on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. Because he was preserving his voice for that performance, we're doing something we don't normally do. We're sharing with you a couple songs from his performance at Billy Bob's Texas, the legendary Dallas Honky Tonk. Uh, we sat in the Ernest Tubb record shop and we could have talked for hours. He's quite the storyteller and I hope you enjoy our conversation. We go back, Fast Line, Fast Track Podcast at uh, Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway, Nashville, Tennessee. 
We're here today with T. Graham Brown. And the word legend gets thrown around pretty loosely these days, but in my mind, this guy definitely fits the definition. He's an award-winning singer and songwriter. He's graced the stage of the Grand Ole Opry hundreds of times. Until you got your start in 1973, you were a townie at uh, Athens uh, University of Georgia. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what, you, uh, what got you uh, started in the music business. Well, man, I kind of goofed around singing. My mama told me I was singing all the time growing up, just, you know, not with a guitar or anything, just running around singing. And uh, I played baseball all my life. That's what I wanted to do. And I went to the University of Georgia. I was from Athens, so the university was just right across town, and I wanted to stay there. I had other places I could have gone, but I wanted to be in, in Athens. But I never did get to play, and I, I had a friend of mine that worked at the uh, Holiday Inn, of all things. And I'd gone to high school with him, and a buddy of mine had a guitar, and we'd sing together every now and then at parties. You know, somebody's mom and dad would go out of town for the weekend, and we'd go over there and party and clean it up and try to make out like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. So... He, he told me he was, he was working the front desk at the Holiday Inn. He said, man, there's a bar upstairs and nobody ever sings in it. Do you want to audition? I didn't know what audition was. or You know, I had no idea. I was just a, a kid wanting to play baseball. So we went up there and sang three or four songs for this man. And dang, he said, I'll pay you $150 a week apiece if you'll come sing. And I went, golly, I didn't know. That was a lot of money, and I never even thought about it. I didn't know nothing about nothing, but I went to baseball practice that afternoon. It was fall practice. This would have been in September of 73, and I told my coach that all I ever wanted to do was play baseball, and, but I wasn't getting to play, and it was frustrating, and, you know, I'd always been on – I'd never sat on the bench in my life. So I told him I had this offer to go sing, and I was confused, and I didn't really know what to do, and I asked him what he thought I should do. And he put his hand on my shoulders, and he looked at me and says, well, Tony, if I was you, I'd go sing. So that was the end of my ball career. And I just started singing at night and going to school at Georgia during the daytime and just did that for, knocked around Athens for nine years till 1982, and and Sheila came home one day and asked me if we well, I wanted to move to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I, she was going to go to Georgia Vet School. She was already admitted and ready to start. And I was, she said, if you, I asked her if she was serious. And she said, you know what, man, if we don't go, you're going to second guess yourself the rest of your life. So let's just go ahead and go. And if it doesn't work out, we can always come back and I'll go to vet school. And so luckily we moved and got some things going and um, never had to go back. Mm-hmm. So what was it like those first few years in Nashville? Uh, was it primarily songwriting or, or knocking on doors or what did that look like? Well, it started out um, kind of knocking on doors. Sheila took had two jobs. She worked in a department store during the daytime and waited on tables at night so that I could go up and down Music Row singing songwriter demos for $20 a pop, not making enough to even put food on the table, but that's why she was working. So 
singing demos just evolved into um, people started hearing my voice on tapes that were was getting passed around. So um, a guy that I knew worked for Capitol Records and asked his boss if he could sign me. And thank God they did. And in that time, you've been on the Billboard, Cashbox, and Christian Music charts 35 times over your career. Many remember the hits such as Hella and High Water, Darlene, and Tell It Like It Used To Be, which I'm sure you still get asked to sing quite a bit. Uh, you record with everybody from the Beach Boys to Vince Gill, Tanya Tucker, George Jones, the Oak Ridge Boys, Jason Kraft, even Michael McDonald, and uh, the late Leon Russell. And uh, how do you feel that... Uh, you have evolved as an artist over the years, and uh, how have you taken little pieces from each one of those artists that you've worked with? Well, I've learned a whole lot about how to sing. I used to kind of over-sing, I guess, and think about it. Now I don't think about it. I've been a lucky man or blessed. God's taken care of me. Mm-hmm. I've been able to work with all my heroes. Uh, it's amazing. It's really been it's really been amazing. I would have never dreamed. I tell people, I, I get asked this a lot, and I tell them I was able to work with all the one-name people, uh, George and Tammy and Willie and Waylon and Merle and Dolly and, and Kenny and just everybody, Loretta, Conway, and they actually liked me. That's the funny part. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine coming around at any other time than the time that you came through? I lucked up, man. I mean, I was timing-wise, I was able to work with those folks while they were still around. I kind of secretly wish I'd have come to town in 1960 mm-hmm. and could have hung out with uh, Roger Miller and mm-hmm. all that crazy bunch back then. When Willie, before while he was still hanging out writing songs and. That would have been a lot of fun, too, but I'd have probably taken too many pills and killed myself trying to keep up with those guys. Man, I think uh, from a uh, a personality standpoint, you would have fit right in, though. I think it would have been fun, yeah. I would. Uh, yeah, I'd have probably been the first one in jail, no doubt. <laughs> so uh, one thing going through your, your bio here that uh, a lot of people might not know is that uh, you're also an Addy Award-winning writer and performer of commercials. And uh, uh, as we talked about uh, just uh, off the air here, that, uh, man, you've, you've worked for just about every fast food chain and beer company and uh, everything. How, how did that come about? Well, it was just... Um, those song demos again my voice got around town and and i remember a guy wanted me to do a mcdonald's commercial he heard my voice and thought the raspy part of it would be good and and i went in and we did this um it was a super bowl commercial it was the first million dollar minute now super bowl ads cost millions of dollars for 60 seconds but that would have been probably 1985, something like that. So that started it off. And then I just started getting calls, man. I, I was kind of the, the guy. If you wanted a raspy voice, call me. And it was, uh, you know, I think I've done probably as many jingles, sang as many commercials as anybody ever. I mean, I've done a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. It's easy money. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for me. I'm pretty quick in the studio, so I can listen to something a couple of times and then go in there and do it and be finished. One that I'd forgotten about, Taco Bell's Run for the Border campaign. 
59, 79, 99, run for the border. Don't waste time. Taco Bell's done it again. God, that went on for four years. I've, t- I've had people turn their TV channels on me so many times, man. Uh-huh. We used to just be on the TV all night long on every channel. It was fun. When that was going on, that was pretty fun. What were some of your other favorites that you did? Oh, I don't know. They were all fun, man. Um, uh, those Taco Bell commercials, I was actually like the guy in the video. Sure. And so that was, those were the most fun. And I got to, it's where I met little Richard, and that went on to be a great friendship. And I got to do, uh, I did one with Count Basie one time. I, I've, I've had a blast, man. I've had a blast. I've gotten to do all kinds of fun stuff. Anything still on your bucket list that you haven't done that you still want to? I want to live to be as old as Tony Bennett and still be singing when I'm 90. Uh-huh. But I'm still doing it, man. I'm I'm probably going to do a new album this year. and mm-hmm. I've been in a couple of movies and a play this year that's, that have been fun, so I'm no great actor, I don't think, but as long as they keep offering me stuff like that to do, I just like doing different things. Sure. Tell us a little bit about the play. The, this play, man, is um, it's kind of strange. It's called a, a scattered, smothered, covered Christmas. A wa- it's a Waffle House Christmas. It's a musical that's set in a Waffle House nice. on Christmas Eve. And a cast of characters are in there, and I play this old ex-preacher, a drunk ex-preacher, which I'm ex-drunks are my specialty. <laughs> Uh, is that here in, in Nashville that you're doing that? They're trying to take it to... Uh, we did one in uh, North Carolina, and they filmed it, and they're trying to get it to Broadway. They've had... Uh, they were here in Nashville. I think they did 35 performances here in, in Nashville, and they're trying to to get some producers on Broadway to look at it. It's a pretty cool thing. I wouldn't be surprised if... If the guy's name's Kane Regan, he's a pretty resourceful guy, so I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't talk him into putting it on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would be in it, but on Broadway, but it would be a good, it's a cool, cool little thing. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you because we are also talking uh, off air about uh, uh, something that's uh, near and dear to the hearts of our listeners, which is uh, farming. Uh, you, you grew up around farming. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I learned how to drive on a two-cylinder John Deere Poppin' John tractor. Um, both sides of my family are farmers. Uh, we grew corn and wheat and rye and soybeans and cotton and um, had chicken houses. Just your basic farming, man. Yeah. It was hard work, but it was. I, I really enjoyed the riding the tractor part of it i didn't particularly enjoy the chicken house part of it but uh, but i'm the first our farm's been in our family for seven generations Mm -hmm. and we still got it so it's we've been able to hang on to it i don't know um i don't farm farm it i'm in nashville my brother is in atlanta and the farms in commerce georgia about an hour and a half outside of Atlanta. 
and nobody nobody's farming much down there in that part of the world anymore it's growing atlanta's growing they just built a golf course on some of my grandmother's old land and they're building subdivisions and you know all that so i don't know what's going to happen to the farm uh, i don't know yet my folks are still alive so i'm sure it's going to be mine and my brothers mm-hmm. for hopefully not too much longer hopefully it'll be long but you know they're getting pretty old sure sure not gonna come out of farming retirement are you Nah, mm-hmm. I doubt it, man. You know, I wish it was in Tennessee. I wish it weren't so doggone far away because mm-hmm. I got to live in Nashville. All our stuff's here. You know, the band's here. The bus is here. Mm-hmm. All that. If if the farm was closer, I would definitely keep it. But I don't know what we're going to do with it, man. That's a, something we hadn't really even talked about. Well, you talk about your band and your bus, and uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes that I saw in your uh, your press material, uh, uh, you say, you've got a band and a bus, and uh, you'll keep taking the music to the people as long as God lets you, because that's what you love to do. That's what we love to do, man. You know, I'm having more fun now than I ever had when I was having hits. Uh-huh. The pressure's off. I don't have anything left to prove. I'm just taking it easy, and my wife, Sheila, travels with me, and She's been looking looking out for me for 40 years now. Mm-hmm. So our son's grown up, married, and got a house of his own, and so she started traveling with me, and she's my best friend. We have a lot of fun. God takes care of us. She's got my back. I got her back. It's all good. That's all you can ask for, right? Yeah, it's, our life's great. That's excellent, Well. From the Ernest Tubb Records Shop Legend stage, we just want to thank T. Graham Brown for taking the time out to uh, to come and talk to us a little bit about his career. And uh, uh, we're going to turn him loose here on the microphone and uh, let you listen to the sounds of T. Graham Brown. Welcome T. Graham Brown and the Mighty Rackers Band.
baby, don't worry If he troubles your mind Cause it'll all wash away, girl In the river of time If you need a shoulder Well, I'll be around And be your rock to hold on to Till that river goes down Yeah. 
wish that I was stronger. I could tell them that you're gone. But that's one thing that I may never do. If they want to hear about our love and how it all went wrong, well, darling, they'll just have to talk to you. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fast Line Fast Track. We want to thank T. Graham Brown, the folks at Ernest Tubb Record Shop in Nashville, Tennessee, the folks at Billy Bob's Texas, our hosts at Commodity Classic in Orlando, and of course our presenting sponsor for this episode, Case IH. Remember to check them out at caseih.com. We look forward to a long working relationship with them as we both share the goal of being innovators in the ag industry. On the next episode of Fast Line Fast Track, it's almost planning season, and we'll let you know what you should consider before heading out into the field. We'll talk farm innovation with one of the biggest equipment manufacturers in the business. We'll talk crop science, and we'll also talk the latest innovation in farm tires from the folks at Michelin. Then we'll take you back to the Ernest Tubb Record Shop for music from rapidly rising country artist Ava Rowland. So be sure to join us and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.